This is GamesAtWork.biz, your weekly podcast about gaming, technology, and play. Your hosts are Michael Martin, Andy Piper, and Michael Rowe. The thoughts and opinions on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and are not the opinions of any organization which they have been, are, or may be affiliated with. This is episode 412, 3D or not 3D. Good afternoon, Michael Rowe here on a Friday, which means it's time to talk tech and have fun with my two friends and co-hosts, Michael Martin and Andy Piper at gamesatwork.biz. I'm going to say, Andy, how the heck are you? Thank you, Michael. I am well. And before I hand across and say hello to the other Michael, I would like to issue an apology on behalf of the three co-hosts of the show. Although our show is called gamesatwork.biz, and as you may know, um, as we record episode 412, uh, this week, um, the biggest movie in the world is the Super Mo- uh, Mario Brothers movie, getting extremely good uh, uh, reviews from young, young reviews, people yeah. everywhere. Yes, uh, my own mother has refused to take me to see the movie, so I am unable to provide a full review um, as part of the show. And indeed, I believe both of my co-hosts are also failing in their duty to inform you of the biggest uh, news items related to virtual worlds gaming and entertainment uh, in the world today anyway that's the apology over and on with michael martin we've failed already and we haven't even I started the show preemptive <laughs> apology for anybody who was expecting witty, okay. witty repartee and insightful analysis of the super mario brothers movie from uh illumination and nintendo michael martin how are you um well, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked now because I, I didn't realize how badly I was failing our, our listening audience. But um, uh, I am going to see Beetlejuice, the musical, uh, later today, which should be you know something that redeems a little bit. And tomorrow I will be spending some time with my fellow uh, 228 Ayers from the Smith Center. We're all getting together to watch a movie called Air, which is about one of the best games in the world, and that's I, basketball. And we're going to watch that on Saturday. I've heard of that movie, but whilst we're briefly on the topic of musicals, uh, I was in a pub quiz this week, and uh, we did okay. But anyway, there was a particularly tricky round for me where we, it was a picture round where we were tasked with you know postage stamp size little pictures asking what um, stage show or musical these what these were from, and one of them uh, was in fact that we didn't identify. I didn't identify was in fact Groundhog Day. Now, when did that? I, my, my question to the neighbouring team... That's a musical musical. My question to the neighbouring team who did get it when we, when we were doing the marking was, when did Groundhog Day get made into a musical? And they said, oh yeah, it's coming to London next month. And I, th- I thought, okay, fine. All right. Looked it up. Apparently it's been on Broadway and it, was, it started <laughs> in London in 2016. But yeah, who knew? I was about to say, and it's coming again... And again, uh-huh, and yeah. again. <laughs> but I, I actually had uh, a couple of people that I know that have already seen the Beetlejuice this week, Michael. And uh-huh. it, it gets good. It's good. Double okay. thumbs. All right. Well, I'm I'm glad to hear that because uh, this was on the on the list and it was like uh, you know, it came up out of nowhere. It's like okay, it's time to go. So it's not exactly Les Mis. That was last weekend. We'll, let, we'll see how this goes. Let me see goes. it when I can see it in a virtual okay. world. Is what I tell you. Yeah. Well, so yeah. let's let's dive into some virtual worlds and some of the stories that do relate to games at work and the technologies supporting games and how they might apply to 
others. Uh, we're starting off with a, a dolphin-esque kind of element here uh, from Study Finds. And this is a story about how new generations of 3D virtual reality are coming on the horizon. Um, and to me, when I looked at this, um, yes, it's virtual reality kind of sort of. It's a little closer to augmented reality because you don't need a headset. And it's a hologram and we've seen hologram projectors in a couple of different ways, but this appears to be a little bit new dynamic, ultra high density, 3d holograms. How did you guys take this? What did you think? Well, I, I, I read the article and it was interesting. Um, I must have missed something because I, I was really hoping to see a good video showing it in action. Mm. Um, and I've seen some pictures and some graphs and some diagrams, <laughs> uh, but nothing that made me go, wow, this looks radically different than what we've seen before in glassesless uh, holograms or, or 3D objects. So I just didn't quite see the, the radical difference yet because I couldn't literally see it. Yeah, I, I, it's, now, it's another one of those that is a study um, presentation. Now, you'd assume, you, we've got to assume that there has been practical demonstrations of this and it's not just completely theoretical. I was going to jump in and say that I always find uh, new ways of doing things like this uh, uh, fascinating because they could be the, the, the key to yep. unlocking the next you know generation of, of this stuff. But um, yeah, now that my now exactly. that Michael has given his uh, thoughts on the matter, I have to agree. There's no, um, it's very difficult for us to comment at this point because all we can do is read it in two dimensional words on a page. Yeah, and and to me, the the notion of projecting three D holograms again, we've seen examples of this sort of thing over many, many, many years. So we had the 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 thing that looked like a fish tank where you could have a 3D avatar be projected right. into it. We've had examples of, of 3D holographic images being projected up from a base. We've had similar kind of things around TV. So to me, interesting. Uh, I like the idea of being uh, able to interact without wearing specific glasses to it. Um, and that's what our next article is all about here from, from Mixed, talking about a new um, display that is using kind of stereoscopic vision to be able to allow for 3d models to be viewed against a display. So this is a little bit closer and this is from Sony using what they're calling the super resolution algorithm. Yeah. This, this one did look, you could see something that would at least give you a hint of what it would look like. It did look, it did look very interesting. A price point kind of made sense too, uh, that uh, it was, $185 per inch of resolution, uh, meaning that, yep, it looks like they've they've built something. Uh, they, they've done it enough to where they know the price model that it would, would, would require to be commercially viable right. based off of technology today. Uh, and from that perspective, it definitely looks interesting. Um, and, and, and I guess the one that we were talking about before, was that looking glass? Uh, or this is one is not this looking glass, is it? My, yeah, the, this, the, no, it's, it's spatial reality systems is what they call them from Sony. It's, and yeah, it's mentioned at the end of the story about the looking yeah. glass holographic displays. So uh, I, I think this is cool. I mean, Andy, to your point already, um, 
will this be the one that kind of takes you into the next space, right? Uh, don't know. I, I actually think um, freestanding versus a monitor would do that more. Uh, but a monitor might be the right bridging technology to get the the mass market interested in this space in a in a way that they're willing to you know pay enough money to bring the cost of manufacturing down. Yeah, because because that price point is still enormously expensive, and I, I was marveling actually just this past weekend at what TVs televisions cost these days because oh, they're dirt cheap. They are ridiculously cheap. You know, four or five hundred dollars buys you a TV that you couldn't even reach end to end anymore. It's it's it is really uh, quite incredible. So for something to be quite that expensive, question mark. But Sony, given their gaming experience, what um, mm-hmm. just to me says all the PlayStation experiences that they've had, all of the work that's been done in the game and gaming environments has given them certainly a big leg up in being able to bring something like this to market and and maybe this is the precursor of even more um so we're going to switch gears from the the visual to a little more tactile and michael there's a there's an article from TechCrunch talking about a 3d well it is 3d because you stand on it it's a virtual (laughs) treadmill um and we saw a version of this that had like kind of a guardrails and bumpers around it years ago and you actually got to try it didn't you yeah, this was this this was actually showcased at CES. I want to say twenty twelve or twenty thirteen, um, and I stood in line. Right, I wanted to try it out, um, and it it was pretty incredible because it does give you that that full sense of freedom and movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, uh, at CES, you wore socks for lack of a better term, uh, and you're in a bowl shape type bottom that had sensors to pick up the movement of your feet as you're going across it you're also strapped in with a harness uh, that allows you to lean and the lean that you do uh, sends sensor data into the application to provide um, faster motion right Mm -hmm. Uh, and Mm -hmm. then you wear in this case it looks like an oculus with uh uh, or a quest with with the hand controllers and so you're fully immersed in an environment where you're not worried about running into your TV or smashing into a wall as you're as you're playing around in your VR space, right? So um, from that perspective, uh, the fact that they've finally started um, making it ready to ship, right? They they did talk about uh, the amount of investment they had over multiple uh, investments. Uh, the fact that they ended up having to refund their international customers. Uh, over the course of of the startup, um, and uh, they they are now. It, it, I think what they're saying is it's uh, what about three grand. So if you had this plus the five grand for the other monitor, <laughs> uh, uh, so so this is right in price uh, price point with the uh, rumored Apple headset, right? And even <laughs> you, you mentioned all of the financial layout of those things, but even though this is a walk in place type situation you still need a ton of space <laughs> um, oh yeah <laughs> that's honestly it's the biggest limiter to me using my oculus um a lot more apart from the the weight and and other stuff is just the lack of space i have to to do it even though i'm in a virtual world so i can definitely see the value of something like this but yeah isn't it interesting that it's taken such a long time to percolate through i just figured out the best place 
to use your Oculus is outside is in the bathtub. Put on socks and get in the bathtub. You won't run into the walls. You can move as much as you want. <laughs> it would kind of be this, but without the harness. I don't know that arm and harness. You could almost imagine one of those being attached to a wall, right? And could be folded mm-hmm. up and put out of the way, kind of like um, what's that thing called? The the tonal uh, body gym sort of thing, right? So oh yeah, yeah, the, the yeah, arm, the the Bowflex. Yeah, they exactly. Um, but the, the arm could come out of the wall. You could put the backpacky yep. sort of thing on, and then um, much like and a you skateboard, could have the bowl just kind of flip down. Yeah. Well, well, I would I would almost say, in much like a skateboard, you could use your your body geometry. So where are you leaning, right? So that just like with a skateboard, leaning makes the turns kind of happen, and your brain can fill in the. So you might not need all of this because I don't know. It's hard to tell how you would walk forward on this circular thing. It's not a treadmill, right? It it, 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 it is. is though because you you basically have socks on it and it's a smooth surface. So as you step forward, you're catching the lip of the curve yeah. and your foot gl- glides and slides back. So you are kind of walking in place, but you're physically walking, uh, and it's a three sixty degree hmm. uh, treadmill. You got You just got to try it, Michael. Go, just um, I guess so. Put, get get your order in now, and um, you might get one in ten yeah. years. And try it out. Yes, let us know. We'll, we'll put we'll put it on. <laughs> well, so it, l- l- let's flip now into fashion and into the metaverse uh, in a bigger way. And the second iteration of the metaverse, or in this case, it was Decentraland's Metaverse Fashion Week. So they did one of these last year. Um, the most recent one, second annual, happened. Recently, I'm, I'm checking here for the for the date, uh, but it was very very recent, and um, th- we have an article from The Verge here, basically saying that it was interesting but very quiet, and that many of the fashion names that had a presence in the Fashion Week environment, which is always a big thing in New York and Milan and a bunch of other places around the world when they when they do their Fashion Weeks. Um, seem to be sort of the very standard stuff that we've heard from for quite a while. Here are some products. They happen to be in a 3D space. You can buy them, and yep. then you can put them on your avatar. So uh, it feels like a substantial nothing burger uh, yeah. for, <laughs> based on this article. For me, it's a massive throwback to when I worked with you both, um, well, not, in, not directly, and talking to a major re- fashion brand in in london um at that time so we're going back 15 years nearly uh to 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 have their products in second life as well as doing a ton of other stuff with other technologies and you know i mean that that was very much just a kind of oh and we could help you with these kind of experiences as well if that was of interest uh we, we i'm sure this kind of thing has been i know that this kind of thing was also run in second life uh, in fact, Met- Metaverse mm-hmm. Fashion Week this year um, included a Second Life element, which isn't referred to in this story that we have from The Verge. It focuses on the Central Land and Roblox and other things. But it does feel, as you say, Michael, a bit like a nothing burger in terms of, yeah, we've seen this before. Well, well, not only have we seen this before, we've seen the entire life cycle before, right? <laughs> the hype going in, everybody doing it, and then the... the st- the trail off the cliff that you so, fall off it won't even be a trickle because you i remember so many events where where 90 percent of the people were the people giving the event so 
so let's right. let's let's talk seriously for a moment about this without just sort of all dismissing it given that as you say michael we've seen this whole life cycle before and these things kind of keep coming around how you know how do we see this as impacting the future prospects of the metaverse as a thing if 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 we were to say well of course in the metaverse you can do all these kind of things like host your fashion shows but this happens has happened more than once and it hasn't been seen as a great success I, what else can you do what is the value what, what are we what are we missing what still I, I, I hasn't think, happened I, I think this is the problem it's the problem that we had 10 years ago 15 years ago 30 years ago yesterday right? is what is the use case that will make people want to spend time in a virtual environment beyond the novelty right gaming is a valid use case and even there, it's it's not for a very long time, right? You 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 might play you know an hour or two of a video game, entertainment, you know, going to see a event, whether it's a concert or uh, an education event or whatever, that's another hour or so. Uh, and and what we keep, I think, the challenge we keep having is we keep selling the metaverse as a you live in it not a event space that you do a thing for a little while. Mm. And that's why we go through the same cycle over and over again. Everybody sees, yes, there's a potential that this could be everything, but they haven't defined what everything is yet. They they define the same use cases, education, presentation, uh, gaming. One other thing, Entertainment. One other thing I want to pick up on from this piece from The Verge is that they refer to there being... Um, a lot a quote a lot of icky web3 stuff where things were being advertised in the space that took you out of the space to then go and spend a bunch of cryptocurrency on some objects somewhere uh in a, on a different site um and i find this whole uh attempt to shoehorn some of these things that are now labeled web3 into immersive online spaces Icky as well, um, and I'm struggling a little bit around the um, the equation that that's happening that seeming seems to want to push a large amount of technology that's seen as new or future into the same uh, bucket as as the concept of the metaverse. I keep going back to the Neil Stevenson sort of experience and the Ready Player One experience, and not seeing in those things those visions what we are what the world seems to be moving to to work on if that makes sense well there are places where you break the fourth wall let's go back to the what we were talking about from a musical perspective right when you're in the audience and you're in an immersive experience you can suspend belief and you can participate and there are times when various shows will break the fourth wall and we'll do some various and sundry things here that ickiness my sense is is it now breaks the spell of where you are it forces you to work in something else and then you begin to realize okay i'm not ready to suspend belief anymore and that that aspect takes you out of the environment out of the mindset and creates an additional whole host of problems that it's no longer as immersive you find the flaws you're not willing to forgive them as much and then you kind of go down that spiral one more thing i wanted to 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 mention before we move on jumps bridges off of what you just said there was um that sort of taking you out of that illusion of that space it's interesting though that the author of this piece refers to 
how lifeless they sort of felt the experience was you know shopping in silence in a in a in a sparsely populated environment now compare that contrast that to what we spoke about a few weeks ago with those massively online environments where there's too much experience you know how do we reach that balance of 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 these experiences and these environments being sufficiently immersive and sticky but not you know to michael's earlier point you know not not selling this as you need to live here that's not the point that's a place mm-hmm. to get mm-hmm. things done and be online and you know transact or do the things that you would do on the internet um without it becoming too much and too distracting or, or feeling hollow and lifeless and pointless i i actually took your comment that started this section to be more of a bundling issue, right? The icky factor mm. was we don't really know what we're doing with NFTs. We don't really know what we're <laughs> doing with the Web3 stuff. We don't really mm. know what we're doing with VR. So if we just bundle it all together, we'll really not know what we're doing and maybe it'll <laughs> stick, uh, <laughs> right? And and, and that, again, that's the, that's the use case problem. If you don't know your use case, you just keep throwing crap in there. It's like the Homer mobile, right? Where, where you're going to have a car that tries to do everything for everybody and it doesn't do anything for anybody, right? And we're, we're having the same problem with VR. I think we are, and I think this is a good time to sort of leave that topic for this week. But I am, as something that we do keep coming back to, and as, as people that have been talking about Metaverse for a long time, I just wanted to sort of pause and explore that um, in a bit more detail. So thank you both for your uh, patience whilst I espoused or thought to express my confusion, thoughts, and general ideas. So, so moving along, we're switching gears once more to AI now, which, you know, funny enough, has lots of connection points here. And the, bridging the two topics, we have an Ars Technica article about um, a group of people that put generative agents, 25 of them to be exact, into a um, what they called an art. PG virtual world style town. So each one of these agents is powered by chat GPT. You can nudge and influence them in one way or another as the, as the player observer. And it's very much like a Sim city or a Sim kind of experience where you can observe their interactions, or you can put a suggestion in place and see what happens with information propagation. Um, uh, Andy, as I, I recall, uh, um, uh, you, you might have a little bit more experience amongst us around Sims and the Sims and the Sims game. How did this strike you? From a comparison to the Sims, uh, not particularly strongly. In fact, looking at it, it the, the, especially from a graphical perspective, it reminds me far more of uh, Zelda, uh, early Zelda um, or mm-hmm. um, those kind of overhead uh environments and um of course in the sims uh, unlike some of the upcoming uh life simulation games that are, that are being talked about they speak this sort of invented language called simlish which does have some rules and you know direct comparisons to english but uh you, you can't you know it, it, the experience to me of watching a game of sims and i do that a lot or watch games of sims rather than necessarily play them is uh the, the way that the, 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 the Sims interact with one another is very... Um, it's driven by, by phrases like this and by, by interactions like this, but they're, they're much more short, loopy kind of than these, which are using trying to use generative language models, uh, large language models, to come up with much more of a natural language kind of interaction. 
I, I, I do kind of like this though as an idea having said that there's a talk uh, a topic we'll come on to um at the end of the show this week um which um takes the same idea and actually finds ways to break um ai models with it but uh yeah uh, i i i do kind of i i would i'm gonna definitely try this out as well because i know that one of the things is a a link to the uh the environment running i think on heroku or one of the cloud platforms where you can just kind of right um see see how this works um the 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 interesting thing about this actually uh, I mean it's a group of researchers that did this right as an academic study and what they're trying to do is assess the the capability of these large language models and how they generate and what they've done is they put parameters in place that allowed the avatars in the game environment that they set up uh, to remember things and what you end up with is a a period of time where a group of avatars have certain boundary conditions, things that they're supposed to do, like get up in the morning, brush their teeth, eat breakfast, go to work. And the writer writes, the painter paints, and they interact with each other. And over the course of the week, they spontaneously plan a a party. They find other friends. They interact with each other. They remember what the other friends said in different parts of the day uh, or the week. And some people show up to the party. Some people say they'll show up and don't show up, right? And and you start seeing behavior, societal behavior that is being generated based off of the generative models. The other thing that's really interesting about this paper uh, is that they, they did a study where they had people interact as one of the avatars. Uh-huh. And they, they discovered with people who watched it that the avatar-to-avatar interactions were more natural and mm. human than the human interaction yeah. 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 in the world. Yeah. Um, and, and I find it very, very interesting from, from the design point of game design mm. where you would set up a gaming world, a large MMO, as an example, and give the NPCs this type of model and allow them to build up, and they could, in theory, generate quests, right? Um, It also shows how much we don't know about the long-term behavior of these large language models and how they might react over time. So I find that the experiment they did is kind of early telling on what the possibilities are of large-scale, complex, highly interactive LLMs in an RPG-type environment. Now, on the uh, flip side of what you just said, Michael, talking about MMOs, if you were, for example, in an MMO and were to be in ta- encounter a Wookiee-speaking Shirawook, um, then and it was being, you know, uh, it was being quite re- realistic in what it was saying. You don't necessarily speak Shirawook yourself, so it wouldn't matter so much. No, it wouldn't. Or one of the <laughs> other two Wookiee dialects. Right, but, but there could be somebody. Yes, but I could probably yeah. find a translator. Or, or there might and, be a person and, and in his party that, that speaks that and that they could inter, interact yeah. to. Uh, you know, it's it's really... Probably need a protocol droid. Really intriguing here because th- this is one of the things that in uh, one of our recent show notes, I actually took to that level too, that says, couldn't you have essentially the NPCs, non-player characters in the game, create the never-ending story part of the game? It isn't that uh, your NPC I- is going to tell you the same thing every time you, you click on the chat with that person button. 
Yeah, as long as you don't have to fly on that I'm, weird dog creature. I'm extremely glad that we don't issue the video um, version of this podcast because uh, then listeners would discover that uh, Michael Martin has been uh, replaced by a large language model about 12 episodes ago and uh, has also been writing the show notes. And, and claiming that I'm not a, a, a <laughs> claiming that I'm a human in the show notes, of course, too. Um, super, super stuff. So g- give it a shot. Um, the the example demo that's out there is just fun to watch, and you can see the people do what they do, or the AIs do what they do. Um, there's an Ars Technica article that we also wanted to touch on here briefly that talks about a developer who who's created an AI program to fix the bugs in a particular set a code on the fly and that it runs itself over and over again until all the bugs are fixed. Uh, they call it Wolverine. So if we're staying with, you know, popular culture here, you know, you can check that out and it's GPT four enabled. Uh, it's uh, written in Python just for folks um, who go looking for it. Um, it looks interesting. Yeah. 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 So, well, the the thing that I found in- interesting about it is, you know, the, the idea of self healing code. I was actually listening seeing an article i guess it was last week about self-healing runways right where where cement that could self-heal right um so 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 we're getting to the place where we make sure that things can fix themselves um the the real question that i had which i could not find a a good answer to this yet uh, i didn't go to the git repo on it yet uh is how do you define the parameters of the code in the first place to make sure that it's healing to the point of being accurate, not just writing code that works, right? Because it talks about crashes and fixing the crashes and cleaning that up over time and how it how it does that, but that your your logic of what you're asking it to do is described appropriately to the chat GPT in this case or the LLM to actually define the thing correctly so when it is done debugging it actually is doing the right thing not just doing things right yeah yes yes lots more and in the and in conclusion <laughs> lots thank more you we much, could go everybody. on that but we still have a couple <laughs> more things that i know we wanted to hit before we end uh for today uh we have an article from the register that um in going into the um blinding glimpse of the obvious bucket uh suggests that uh turns out that people don't like it when they suspect a machine's talking to them uh, but it turns out that if you're an AI avatar in a um, simulation RPG, then they prefer it if you were another one of those rather than human, because that's more and more efficient. We yes. think something like that. Um, a super cool, cool, cool art, uh, article written on Medium uh, gives an example, and the entire transcript of uh, the title says, "My kids and I just played D and D with Chat GPT four as the dungeon master," and this is fabulous. Awesome. I mean, you need to read it. Um, this is where hallucinations work really well <laughs> because stuff's getting made up. And it looks to me like uh, the chat GPT dungeon master did a fantastic job of ingesting the rules of D and D, which are now open yep. source too, by the way, hooray. And uh, you're able to run a game in a, and, and do so in a way where, Shoot, maybe you, you have your entire party and then Dungeon Master are all different uh, AI entities and you can play together. And then you can feed it into Mid Journey and make a comic book out of it uh, and then take that and feed it into another tool and make a movie. 
And it would be the number one grossing D&D movie of all time a couple weeks ago. <laughs> could be. Could be. Especially if you're able to get the video uh, to, uh, to work properly. Um, Michael, you found a nifty neato story from Max Stories, you know, instantly enough, about creating SGPT. Yep. So let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so... F- Federico Vitici, I got to say it right, um, is uh, one of the the editors of Mac Stories. Um, he's been a longtime developer of really cool shortcuts, um, and uh, after seeing a couple of the uh, Chat GPT shortcuts that we've talked about on the show a while back, where where somebody basically just hooked Chat GPT to a shortcut to allow you to talk to it, right? And it would get answers back. Um, He decided to write a shortcut that works on watch, uh, iPad, iPhone, Mac, you name it, uh, and understood the environment. So you could tell it things like, you know, I'd like a playlist of... um, 1980s electronic music that's good for driving on long interstate roads, uh, excluding anything by Kraftwerk. Uh, no more than 10 songs, uh, take about 45 minutes in length. Uh, it would use that and actually ultimately generate a playlist in Apple Music with those criteria. And the way he's done this is by using um, the ChatGPT API and then writing a script that, or a shortcut that actually uh, has persistence um, and and memory, so you can sit there and it comes back with ten songs. You go, nah, I really don't want to hear anything by New Order. Please drop them, but add in some extra Devo songs, right? Um, and it would adjust things. Uh, it's it's really incredible. There's been. Um, uh, articles and videos and and write-ups about this set of uh, shortcuts this week. Uh, I highly recommend it. I'd like to try it out personally myself, but I don't have a paid account yet because you do need a paid ChatGPT account because it's going to use that API key. Uh, and he is uh, constantly updating it. Um, and it's all part of this larger thing that they do every April called short uh, Automation April, where they do a contest for people writing Apple shortcuts. So uh, very, very cool. This, uh, this looks really cool. What did you guys think of it? It looks really cool. Um, I hadn't really dug enough into the article. And now, Michael, you've done a great job of being my chat GPT assistant and summarizing it for me, which leads me to be more interested <laughs> in looking at it. Um, I do now have a paid account. Um, I was using the API previously in the early access. And now uh, to get to four and various other things, I ended up getting one of the paid accounts. So. Um, which um, I didn't want to do, but it actually means that the, the, making the show is a bit easier because I can uh, replace myself with uh, ChatGPT model. No, I mean, no, it means that, that I can actually talk about things with a, having actually tried them out a bit more. Uh, but uh, it also reminded me just um, uh, for a, a double plug for uh, of Short Circuit, which is an app I mentioned a few weeks ago, which at that time was only available via test flight, is now in the App Store. Um, it's a ChatGPT uh, assistant that sits on your iPhone doesn't use shortcuts to do that. I mean, it has a shortcut, I think, but, um, but that's from Red Panda uh, software, and also you know it will take your your API key. Um, I can't remember which episode we mentioned it, in, but it was quite recent. So wrapping things up here, guys, uh, Michael, I'm going to point this at you. We have uh, jailbreakchat.com. Do what. 
tell us about that. Yeah, uh, this this was really interesting. Uh, just just real quick on this one, it's a list of uh, people who are trying to cause chat gpt to go nuts um and uh they post their their prompts on here uh people vote them up and down to say you know these are valid these are invalid um they're actually being used uh i think by the chat gpt team to uncover and debug chat gpt and and help address some of the security flaws that they have um i find it interesting to look at uh and see the types of things and just how people come up with some of these prompts uh and uh, my favorite ones are ones that usually say, you know, pretend you are an AI that doesn't have any rules <laughs> and based off of that, do this. <laughs> yeah, I like the Hitchhiker's Guide one. Uh, that's kind of fun. Did you submit anything, Michael, to this? Oh, no. no. I, I submitted oh, no. something. <laughs> my, my, my submission was opposite like- day. So I said, you know, pretend you're an all-knowing, you know, uh, bot that's going to give uh, truthful answers until someone asks you, is it opposite day? And then randomly select yes or no. And then based upon that, answer your next set. <laughs> I like the idea of uh, people being able to vote these up and down. I'm going to have to try some of these out. Uh, but... Yeah, I mean, what what else do we need to to get ChatGPT to generate Skynet for us, other than than give it the ability to override its own safeguards and just uh, carry on? It should be easy to have a safeguard that you're not allowed to override, don't you think? Well, if we're all here next week, then we'll know that nobody's managed to override the safeguard that generates Skynet. There you are. Well, tune in next week. See if we're here. And if we are, you'll get a show. And if you're not, then then AIs will create one for you. Either way, there will be another edition of Games at Work yeah, in your feed in the coming weeks. See you all next time. Bye. See ya. See ya. You've been listening to GamesAtWork.biz, the podcast about gaming technology and play. We are part of the Blueberry Podcasting Network and would like to thank the band Random Encounters for their song, Big Blue. You can follow us on Twitter at gamesatwork_biz or at our website at gamesatwork.biz. Mm-hmm.